Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Conferred Culture, brought to you by Timotheries, the podcast where we talk about the topics that many of us are passionate about. I'm your host, Chris Murphy, and this week I'm going to be doing another solo episode. Uh, this week I'm going to be discussing a subgenre of horror movies, that being the monster movie. Now, last week I know I talked about Friday the 13th and my love for that franchise, and because I sat down and inside of a less than a week, watched all 12 of them, and uh, because Halloween, well, it just recently ended, I still kind of continued with the horror movie because I, it's if you've ever listened to this podcast or seen me on the Timothy's YouTube channel, I, you'll know that I I just absolutely adore horror, and so I wanted to talk about this subgenre because it's it's something that's been around for many years, even going back to maybe even the beginning of film. And it's it's sort of a tried and, and and true and tested kind of subgenre. People keep coming back to it and embedding their own ideas. It's spawned its own subgenres, even with, for example, the zombie movies. I mean, it started off as I think on you could as its own entry in the in the genre, and then of course everybody after the success of the kind of Romero films, it became its own subgenre underneath that. There are thousands of zombie movies out there. Most of them bad, but some of them pretty good. And that's not counting the Dead trilogy that Romero wrote and directed. Um, it's basically, it's one of those things where it, it's kind of the same as slasher films, where people figured out they could make them for cheap, and then, of course, started to... Everybody and their uncle started making them because they were cheap to make and hopefully you could make money and maybe it would allow you to break into the industry. But despite people coming up with their own new ideas and different ways to approach it, and I'll get into some examples as I go through, uh, it still keeps kind of coming back to sort of a tried and, and tested kind of formula that some of the best ones share. And I'll talk about that in a few minutes, but I have a a number of examples that I can cite here, uh, and I'll start with s some of the earliest ones. Now, uh, there were the Universal Monsters, and we're going back to a little black and white, and maybe even to the 20s. Um, although, don't quote me on that, I didn't really look these up because I just know them sort of off the top of my head. But uh, I know that they tried to reboot all these monsters to make sort of a quote-unquote dark universe, that they were going to make a big shared universe film much like basically they were trying to duplicate the success of the avengers where they brought in of course all the comic book characters into one universe and they were trying to do that with all their monsters and universal of course famously owns dracula frankenstein's monster which funny every time i hear somebody say frankenstein well i don't do this in my mind but i know a lot of people say well actually the doctor was frankenstein and the 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 monster was Frankenstein's monster. It doesn't actually have a name. <laughs> but uh, I, I don't correct people about that because it's a, I feel like at this point it's a common colloquialism to refer to Frankenstein's monster as just plain Frankenstein. So I don't really... It's not something that bothers me. But anyway, uh, in addition to that, you have the creature from the Black Lagoon, uh, which I think had Clint Eastwood in it. He was one of his first movie roles where he played one of the doctors it was a very small part 
done but like the original one from oh man like me maybe the 50s or something then there's uh the wolfman which has been done in so many iterations uh howl uh american werewolf in london which is excellent wolf with i think jack nicholson i think there's one called the wolfman of course um Van Helsing with Hugh Jackman had, I believe, had the Wolfman in it, and Dracula and a Frankenstein, like basically melded all those monsters together. That was in the mid two thousands, I want to say, but again, I didn't look it up. And last but not least, the Mummy. Now, the Mummy is sort of an interesting one. They did a whole bunch of Mummy movies, I think, in the thirties. Again, I, I, I'm sure somebody's gonna get mad because I have misquoted the years, but. They rebooted them in the late 90s, of course, with uh, um, the Brendan Fraser movies uh, where it was sort of, it was PG-13. It was a little bit more family-friendly, but, I mean, they weren't rated R or anything, I don't believe. But I think uh, they wanted to have a more wider audience. And, you know, they were, and Rachel Wise, I should say, is in it as well. And they were pretty successful. And they ended up doing a third one with Jet Li, which wasn't very good. Uh, but hey, The Rock was in the second one, and that sort of kickstarted his movie career, which a lot of people, I'm sure, are no doubt happy about. So th- those are sort of, I when I think of sort of the genesis of monster movies, that's the kind of core sort of list that I think of. It was the Universal Monsters. I'm sure there are other examples, and maybe even although maybe not earlier but again those are the 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 go-to ones for me i know as it uh you know as you go through the monster movie kind of sort of evolved and maybe reflected a little bit the times that they were made in like i know in the 50s it was popular in the 40s and 50s it was popular to have uh animals that were horribly mutated due to nuclear testing or uh, waste or something like that and it was based on a fear of the time of uh you know they were post world war Two, so they'd use the atomic bomb and so they were in the you're in the early stages in the atomic age and people were scared of that so that obviously you sort of play into people's nat like naturally occurring fears at the time and and you have a lot of you know giant bugs or mutated i know in this i mean not around the same time but i know in the 70s famously a william shatner movie a night of the lepus or lepus or something like that where they had like mutated bunnies and it's it's so hilarious but um needless to say yeah so it sort of reflected that that time and and then you and i believe the yeah the fly as well the original one before it was remade the original thing which was Maybe less about that, but sort of segues into an, another popular sort of trope that they used for, to make monster movies, and that's uh, alien invaders from a, another planet. And again, in the 50s, people were very much drawn to that. You know, uh, a lot of people, a lot of people still believe, I suppose, that, you know, there's a big government cover up and uh, Roswell is the site of an alien crash landing and you know what about if that got out type deal so that's still sort of a common theme and when i get into the 
I've, I've chosen four examples that I'm going to do a deep dive into on this, on the podcast, but that aliens are a reoccurring theme for sure. Uh, spy like, um, uh, animals and insects, like in particularly with, with maybe, well, I know it's not technically an insect, but, uh, spiders cause they're arachnids, not insects. I know, uh, they, there's been arachnophobia, of course, which scares the hell out of me because I'm actually arachnophobic. Uh, and then there's uh, eight-legged freaks, which is just funny. And then, of course, uh, so that, that I th- covers that a little bit. Um, then you have animals like piranha and then jaws as well, which, I mean, jaws is a very widely critically acclaimed movie. And... It deals with something that could naturally occur and, you know, just happens to be a big shark killing people. So fear of, of an animal still is a prevalent thing, I think. Uh, I believe, what was the giant alligator or crocodile movie like Lake Placid or something? They still make, of course, movies like that to this day. I mean, especially shark. sharks. Is a, sharks are a very common thing to make. A horror movie about like you still have like deep blue sea and those of course famously sharknado they remade piranha and did a sequel piranha 3d and 3dd because which were very tongue-in-cheek because they kind of knew what they were doing but and you have like the original blob which is very again like an alien like an alien invasion type of movie and then of course like night of the creeps and slither slither is so good uh, it's a James Gunn movie before he got famous and uh, has Nathan Fillion in it as well as a number of, of Whedon regulars and um, Elizabeth Banks is in it as well. And it's it's a very and Michael Rooker and it's a very, very fun movie. I highly recommend it. But again, that just kind of goes to the sort of alien invasion type type movies. And I'll get to I do have a two very specific examples that I'm going to bring up on my deep dive three actually i think i don't know if technically one of them is i i think three of them are but i can't actually kind of remember if one of anyway i'll get to it when i when i kind of deep dive into those so a few other examples that i have uh godzilla which i believe ties into the whole mutated lizard although i don't know exactly the origins of Godzilla because I was never super huge into the Godzilla myth- uh, mythos. But again, I'm sure some fans out there will will totally <laughs> correct me. Um, I mentioned Piranha and Jaws. Uh, the updated blob, blob from the 80s actually is, is I find it quite entertaining. And again, it's one of those alien invasion movies, which were actually big in the 80s now that I think about it again, which is not surprising because it's one of those... Um, nostalgia things where everything that's old is new again and comes back around so i'm not i'm kind of not surprised some stephen king mentions uh it and the mist of course uh it is there was the miniseries which is fine there's some good performances in it but it's not really that scary Uh, at least i don't find it scary and then there's the remake which the first part is good and i didn't even bother seeing the second part because the ending is stephen king can't write endings that's my hot take for this podcast. Stephen King cannot do endings to save his life. They're usually needlessly convoluted or um, incredibly simplistic to the point where they lose their effectiveness. In fact, 
uh, in the mist uh, famously the director came up with and the writing staff came up with their own ending uh, which Stephen King is quoted as saying gee I wish I thought of that <laughs> because uh, my ex is huge in the Stephen King and, and she told me the original the ending for the book and it's doesn't have near the impact of what the movie does and it they essentially just um, bully it to death it's such it's horrible and they didn't do it well in the miniseries either so it's not like it's the source material is really what makes it weak in my opinion then we have again i talked about how zombies are kind of their own subgenre at this point um you could almost make the case that the evil dead trilogy sort of falls into that it's more of about uh undead things um called deadites of course in the evil dead trilogy and eventually the remake which a lot of people didn't like i thought it was quite solid i mean it, it the the it, it, it was super um bloody they put their actors through hell it, it there was a chainsaw to the face of the main um deadite and it literally rained blood i don't really know what, what more you want well i know what more you want you want ash from the original trilogy but they kind of tried to do their own thing which i applaud i really liked it and of course they did the follow-up uh, series which ignored that movie but was sort of a sequel to army of darkness which the the tv show was also really good uh so again i spoke about american werewolf in london it's a very excellent werewolf movie it's one of the few times i think they've really done werewolves uh well and it play and it's because it plays more to the plays more into somebody getting bitten and they just don't know what's happening to them. so it's to them so it's it's more of a you, you your body's changing and you don't know what's happening to you and you're turning into a monster and you're powerless to do anything to stop it and they sort of played into that character build up and like he doesn't want to kill people but he ends up killing people yeah it's it's excellent i rec i have a special edition i think copy of it which is on dvd which is again i i very i very much recommend that film and then there's uh i was speaking about evil dead trilogy but uh um to sort of segue into another kind of monster movie uh because bruce campbell's in both of them uh, bubba hotep bubba hotep is so entertaining um bruce campbell plays a senile retired version of elvis because he got tired of fame and so he switched body switched places with an elvis impersonator who had a bad heart and died and then he just got kind of used to living his normal life and he ends up in a retirement home and everybody just thinks he's senile like he's not actually elvis but he really is and he befriends a black guy who comes in and says he's actually um john f kennedy who they faked his death and dyed his skin brown to um keep him safe and away from um would-be assassins <laughs> and so there is this uh they're transporting at the beginning of the movie uh a truck is transporting a mummy from one museum to another and it falls into this uh, ravine by this uh, retirement home which elvis and john kennedy are in and the mummy escapes and starts eating the souls of its residents and so they have to team up to try and kill it and it is so good like i, I they were going to make a sequel uh baba nosferatu and the curse of the she vampires but it never got made unfortunately 
which just by that title alone, it would have been a probably would have been a pretty good time. But uh, it is a really excellent movie, and I very much highly recommend that one too. Uh, in addition to that, I also have some more modern examples: uh, the Babadook and It Follows, and both of those I think came from the 2010s. And they're sort of an interesting take on a modern kind of monster. Maybe not so much the Babadook, because the Babadook is more a fictional, what if a fictional um, children's monster was real? And nobody believes the kid, not even his mom. And from the outside, it kind of looks like she's just going insane and treating her kid bad. But this uh, evil entity is killing people, and it's sort of pitting them against this the the entity all the way through movie and it's australian if i'm not mistaken and it's actually again it's really really good as most of the movies on this list that i picked up at least in my opinion all this stuff is subjective of course so uh it follows is i don't know if you could really maybe you can classify it as something different than a monster movie but they it's very interesting. It's 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 a basically a curse or a, a manifestation of death following people around and it's sexually transmitted, which is, again, it's a super interesting take on the whole, I think, the genre because it, it not it's not one of those things you're just trapped in a location. If you can get out of the location, you get away. You can never escape this thing. And the only way you can get out of it is to have sex with somebody and pass it on and it's i think if they die then that means you're safe like it's one of those you know it raises the question of you know do you sacrifice somebody else to save you it brings up the whole fear of 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 stis it's yeah it's kind of like for a modern kind of audience and again i really really enjoyed it i think it was on well it's, it was on netflix for a while but they may have removed it, but if you can find, I think you should seek that one out too because I think it's really, really good. Then we got a couple of classics from the '80s. I've got uh, Alien and The Fly. Alien is a horror movie. Uh, I don't care what you say; it just happens to be set in space in a science fiction setting, and of course, famously spawned a whole bunch of sequels. The second one is really, really good because it ups the ante in a whole bunch of interesting ways introduces a bunch of very quotable characters and of course of course uh there's only one alien in in alien and there are many 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 aliens in aliens which again it it the first one's a horror movie the second one is more of an action movie it's like uh the terminator is more of a horror movie but the second one's more of an action movie it's which is not surprising because it's james cameron right he kind of had that M.O. where he, and I know he didn't do Alien, but he did Terminator, where the second one he usually goes for a more action vibe. And it kind of mirrored his growth as a filmmaker at the time. And of course, The Fly, the remake is what I'm talking about, with famously with Jeff Goldblum and Gina Davis. And like it's directed by Cronenberg, and it's a very, it's one of his mindfuck movies, and it's just... It's so it's so super creepy, and it's one of those things where he just slowly transforms f from being a certain 
type of person obviously into a monster into the fly and he just it's a slow transformation and slow burn and the body horror and the effects are really really good and it spawned a horrible sequel which i wouldn't even i wouldn't even bother with but this one is really really good i like that one a lot i haven't seen it in a while be, which is obvious because i don't have that much to say about it but I think it's really, again, I think it's one of those uh, really good body horror films that if you have, uh, if you don't have a sick stomach, you can, you should probably check that one out because it's really good. I, do, I have a, a really good example of a body horror um, monster movie in in the ones I'm going to do deep dive with in, in, in a few minutes here, but uh, I think it's a better example, although it's probably recency bias because I literally just watched it before I did this podcast. So it, there's probably some recency bias to it as well, but I, I think it's like maybe a bit of a better film and the, the effects mostly still hold up, but I'll get to that in a few moments. A uh, few more sort of family friendly ones, although depending on who you ask, I suppose I would let my kids watch, kids watch uh, Gremlins. They might be a little afraid, but the the Gremlins are so wacky and so they're kooky, and they just kind of get into mischief. There's some horror element to it, but I think it's more of a kind of a sillier thing. I know it's PG. I believe it's PG thirteen, and the sequel is kind of fun too. Uh, and of course, you got the ever cute um, um, Gizmo. What I always wondered, actually. Which I think is 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 funny that when the, the the rules you know two rules don't get them wet don't feed them after midnight isn't technically every hour after midnight wouldn't shouldn't it be more accurately wouldn't it be don't feed them between midnight and twelve like twelve a.m. and twelve p.m. or between the hours of twelve and eight or something it feels like that's an oddly unspecific rule that you could easily wind up breaking which they do but it's because the gremlins are being gremlins the mogwai. Uh, which they're which they're referred to. Another one too in that kind of uh, that kind of same realm is even though it was made earlier, but I think they added a little bit to it after the success of Gremlins is Critters. Uh, for those who don't know, uh, Critters is from the same director I think who did Ghoulies, and I, that's not on this list because it's not very good. <laughs> but uh, Critters is, is super fun. They made another three of them i think i think they made four in total yeah and it's just kind of a little fun kind of um, critter like critters <laughs> a fun little movie they basically they're semi-intelligent aliens that have their own language and but they kind of live to devour things billy zane is in it because of course billy zane is in it billy zane even though i didn't have it on this list billy zane is another ex excellent monster movie uh tales from the crypt demon knight he chews the scenery so much in that movie and that he's that's a to me that's the best role he ever did like i know people say he was good in titanic but i'm sorry man tales from the crypt demon knight is so great and i can't recommend that one enough it's funny it's sort of dumb but it knows it's dumb it, it knows what it is and uh this the story's interesting enough even if like i'm not religious and it has a really the the story is super religious but um the monsters are the makeup is good the one-liners are great 
mostly coming from Billy Zane. Jada Pinkett Smith is in it. Well, she was Jada Pinkett at the time. CCH Pounder, uh, William Sadler. Oh, uh, I can never remember his name, but uh, he was in Sideways. Uh, not Paul Giamatti, but the other guy. Anyway, I'm sure somebody will, will figure that out. Um, I'm going to have to look that up, actually. Uh, I'll keep going. <laughs> um, like I said, I, I just I just really, really love it. It's super fun. And it's, and it's like so, 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 so quotable. Thomas Hayden Church. Didn't even need to look it up. I figured it out. Yeah, Thomas Hayden Church is in it. It's one of his earlier movie roles. I know he played uh, uh, Lowell. I think his name was. Was the mechanic on Wings before he was in that. And he's the slimiest total douchebag that you ever saw in a in a horror movie and he makes it so like quite a ways into it which makes you hate him any even more but billy zane absolute star of that movie like i cannot recommend that one enough but i got i got off i got off track like i was saying critters pretty entertaining uh but the most uh family friendly movie on this list is by far is monster squad um I mentioned earlier the Universal was Universal was trying to establish their own sort of dark universe that they could do like Marvel with all their classic monsters. Monster Squad did it first, even though I think they they I don't think it's a Universal film, and they kind of use the public domain versions of a lot of these um, monsters. And I don't think the creature from the Black Lagoon is called the creature from the Black Lagoon. I think it's called something different, and. I, I want to say there's a little bit more to it than that that they just had to do for copyright, like just because Universal owns a very specific version of those monsters, and it's it's a really entertaining film. Actually, it's very much a PG film. I don't think if anybody dies in it, they don't really show it. Uh, it's not really that scary. It's sort of it's super fun. Uh, my ex really really likes it. It's one of those things where you where you could watch it on a Halloween with your kids and they just wouldn't get scared. I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, I mean, if Disney owned it, it would be on the Disney channel. I think it, or Disney channel, uh, Disney plus that's how family friendly I think it is. And it's, you know, it's pretty fun. They were first to do it. They combined uh, all those. And then a group of kids sort of had to try and stop Dracula. He's the main villain from, from executing his plan and, and taking over the world essentially. So yeah, like I said, I, if, if you have kids, like, you could do worse than Monster Squad. So before I do a deep dive on the four that I've chosen to get into here, I just want to sort of take a minute and kind of go over some of the common qualities of some of the best um, monster movies. And certainly I think it applies to most of the examples that I that I just cited. And it certainly applies to the four that I've chosen for sure. And, and I, I think some of the co common qualities of, of them, of the best monster movies are based. So starting out, d d you can't show the monster too early. I don't think, although maybe this one doesn't apply to one of the ones I'm going to go into, but um, don't show the monster too early. A lot of the ones on the list and, and certainly uh, a few of them that I'm, that I'm going to get into they wait until usually about the second act to get into it to really show what the monster looks like. They have little hints as to what it could be 
or they'll give you a little tease, a little bit, and it certainly applies to one of them for sure. That definitely does. A little tease of what it looks like or in some cases, like, it follows you don't really, I don't think you ever really find out what it looks like. It's more of a, um, it's more of a concept than a creature, I think, in that one. Or something like The Mist, where The Mist is really, I mean, that movie is really about the breakdown of society, but they don't, you don't really get a good look at, at a lot of the monsters till uh, uh, some of the ways in, I think. In relation to that, too, don't show the monster too much, especially if you have a lower budget. And that definitely applies to one of the ones that I'm thinking about. But, I mean, the Gremlins, they had big budget and stuff like that. But say say something like uh, Alien is a good example. They didn't have a huge budget when they did that, uh, did, did that, I should say. And you can, there are some shots in that movie, actually, where you can tell it's just a guy in a rubber suit. But they lit it in such a way that like they use a lot of shadows so you kind of can't tell exactly the the scope of the actual size or or what it looks like fully and that's a smart decision because it doesn't show the limitations of their budget and because a lot of these are you know lower budget films i think uh, another quality of a of a good monster movie is establish character traits early so usually with monster movies you have a limited number of characters in some sort of setting uh, where they're battling for their lives. They're trying to escape or they're trapped or they're being hunted or something like that. Where they, It's them against the monster. And so an important part of that is making you care about the people. And this is where I think monster movies differ from a slasher film from a lot of the 80s slasher films in particular. You don't particularly care about a lot of the characters in it. You're there for the kills. You're there to see the slasher, if it's Freddy or Jason or Michael Myers or Pinhead or whatever. Although Pinhead is maybe more of a monster, could be more classified as more of a monster movie. But you need to give character traits, give them... You don't have to spend a ton of time on character development, but... Just give us a basic idea of some of the characters, their motivations, what they're like. Have them interact with each other a little bit before you sort of get the party going, basically. Like I said, the slat with the slasher, it's just a bunch of teens. They're almost all terrible people. You know almost all of them are gonna die. The final girl has some very specific traits. There's not a lot of it's mostly window dressing. There's not a lot of uh, substance to those characters. Uh, but I think like a good monster movie makes you care. It makes you get invested uh, in the main characters and whether or not they can actually get out of the situation they happen to be in. In addition to that, uh, and I just talked about it a little bit, but you need to have a location or scenario where escape is not an easy thing. Or they're forced to kind of... Either that or they're forced to kill the monster. Like... If it's uh, an alien invader, they need to stop it there or it'll take over the earth. Or a good a good example is arachnophobia, as I've seen that a number of times. Um, they make it very clear that this spider was restricted by the... So in arachnophobia, the original spider is in the Amazon. And they end up bringing it back to the States, specifically Florida, I believe... A small town in Florida. Although I'm not 
100% sure on that, but I believe so. So they make it very clear that the spider was, it would have spread more had it not been for the um, geographical restrictions it was under. Maybe um, it was like deep in the jungle or uh, it had hills and valleys that like it couldn't get out of the environment it was in. And then they brought it back to somewhere where it could easily spread. So they make it, make it clear that if we don't stop this thing here, the next town is dead and the next town and the town after that and the town after that is just going to keep spreading. As creatures often do when you uh, introduce a foreign uh, plant or animal to a different ecosystem that isn't set up to handle them. So that's a realistic thing that could happen. So that's a good example, I think. Or like I said, a scenario where, oh, the road's out and we can't get out. Or it's the middle of winter and all the roads are snowed in. Or we're on a spaceship and we can't get off. Or... You know, it has to be some of that because if you can just hop in a car and drive away from it and nothing will happen, then it's that thought is going to linger the rest of the film. Like, why don't you just run away from it and then you're fine? There's no, there needs to be that situation. And bad monster movies will just have that. <laughs> I have seen ones where it's just like, I think Ghost Ship was a good, was a good one. I'm like... Okay, I know you're driven by greed, but the second that you see some crazy stuff, why don't you just get in your boat and leave? I, I think they do address that later on in the movie, but like that's just sort of an example I'd pull off the top of my head. But it's one of those things where it can't be an easily escapable thing. Like, why don't you just get out of Dodge? What's, what's the big deal, right? So you have to have that. One of the other things I have is don't tell us too much about the monster. So... Again, in bad monster movies, or and this happens commonly in bigger budget ones, where you have to have a scientist or a character, or somebody smart, or somebody who just, or the monsters themselves, if they can communicate, gives us this big expi- uh, gives us this big expedition, exposition. <laughs> wow, I'll get into expedition, but <laughs> this big exposition uh, dump about. Uh, the monster, its motivation, where it comes from, what it wants, etc., 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 and just ruins all the mystique of the movie. And again, I'm going to discuss this. This is a point I'm going to bring up when I talk about uh, some of the ones I'm going to do the deep dive into. But needless to say, if you tell us too much, then the monster loses all mystique and you're less likely to fill in the blanks and less likely it is to be scary. If you know too much about it, it kind of ruins the whole thing, I think. Just give us enough. Get, and this is a good segue into one of the one of one of the other qualities that I that I think a good monster movie possesses and that's giving the monster a simple motivation. Usually in these, it's eating people. They're just hungry, they just like any other animal, they're hungry and humans happen to be their food. But that's not always the case. It could be um, you're, they're hunting them. It could be they want to reproduce their species. It could be they're just, you just happen to be, you're, you're in wrong place, wrong time. It just, it, it can't be complex. I want to do, it can't, I'm not say it can't, but I find more often, and again, like the, the bigger blockbusters are very, to, to me, more guilty than some of the some of the lower budget films of this where the monster has some sort of 
crazy plan and it's and it's needlessly complicated and it's something that you're thinking about as you're watching the film where it's like wait that doesn't make a whole lot of sense or you're trying to figure it out and it kind of takes you away from the kind of takes you out of the film I find not that it can't be done because you know I'm sure those those monster movies exist and I'm just not thinking of a good example of one but uh, it's one of those, I, I feel like the simpler the motivation, the better. Because you, then you can just concentrate on whether or not the characters are going to get out of the situation. And you're sucked into the movie more, I find. And finally, you est- you have to establish the rules and don't break them unless you absolutely have to. Now, some movies I know do this. And again, I'm looking at you, big budget films, big budget monster movies. But establish the rules. And a good example of this is the aforementioned gremlins. Like I said, don't get them wet. Don't feed them after midnight, though. Like I said, that's sort of an ambiguous rule. Uh, They don't ever break it. They show you what happens. They give you the consequences of what happens there. They they give you some information about the shark and jaws. Again, these... So I think these... I'm going to address these a little bit more when I get into the deep dive, but... It follows, like I said, spread by um, having sex with someone, uh, werewolf movies, silver bullets, getting bit, Dracula, crosses, um, wooden stakes, although crosses depends on the movie. Sometimes they add silver like in Blade. They, they just, you, you know, so they give you rules. They give you things that the like powers that the monster has, how much power it has. And they don't. You don't need to get too specific, but you just need to establish it's a powerful monster. It could take on multiple people. It can here's how, here's why it's a threat. But more than that, uh, here's where it can go. Here's where it can't. Like in Evil Dead trilogy, here's how you get possessed. In zombie movies, here's how you become a zombie. Um, here's how you kill them. And again, like. There are different movies in that genre, subgenre have done different things with them as I have different ones than some of the other ones. Like I mentioned, vampires are different depending on who you're asking. But yeah, an uh, alien, a face hugger gets on you, implants an alien, it comes out your chest. It has acid for blood. It has like kind of a mouth inside of a mouth. It eats people. How do you kill something like that? Well, here's how you do it. And then they kind of stick to those rules and they only break them unless it's maybe usually it's when they write themselves into a corner, but for the most part, it's when they're kind of looking to, it's usually done in sequels, I think, but I think I've seen it once or twice done inside of a movie where they haven't completely screwed it up. But, uh, yeah, it's one of those, uh, once one of those, one of the most important things, I think you need. And I'd say this is probably applies to not just uh, monster movies, but a lot of movies in general is established rules and don't break them. So many movies are so guilty that where you get halfway through and you're like, wait, what? I thought it couldn't do that. All of a sudden it can now, unless it's done in a really clever way or you don't know every you where it's played as we thought we knew everything, but actually we don't. In which case it, it can work. But when you're talking about monster movies, I think... You just kind of need to establish rules and stick into them. Stick with them, I should say. 
So I've been alluding to all podcaster. I'm going to get into the four that I've picked that I want to do a deep dive on. And they are as follows. Predator from 1987, the classic. Although I would... It could be argued that the Predator is a mashup of, of a bunch of different genres, like action movie, um, horror, uh, almost like an army kind of, like a special unit kind of movie. Like, it's a number of different things. In addition to Predator, I have The Thing, which is the movie that I talked about where I literally just watched it before I started doing this podcast, so recency bias. Um, Tremors, which is, to me, one of the... It's Tremors is the reason why I decided to do this as a topic because it's one of the more it adheres to most of the rules, if not all the rules that I uh, all of those qualities, I should say, that apply to a good uh, monster movie. And it does it really, really well. And the characters are all very likable. And yeah, it's got Kevin Bacon, of course, and uh, Fred Ward and um, the guy from family ties his name escapes me right now uh at at any rate yeah um tremors is one of the best examples i think of a monster movie and the last one is which i decided to include a more uh current one a quiet place which came out four three four years ago i want to say and they're doing a sequel and i'll get into i'll get to that in a second too but i want to start off with predator so predator as i just said made in 87 um, it's very much a, like I said, a, a mashup of a few different genres. It starts out as an action movie. Uh, you got, uh, the introduction of Arnold and his team and him doing the, the pissing contest with Carl Weathers, that big handshake where they do, um, they just slap hands and then Arnold just overpowers him. And he's like, what's wrong Dylan? CIA got you putting, pushing too many pencils. It's like. Just such a stupid, like, testosterone-filled man fest at the beginning. And, uh, you know, they go into a jungle on a special mission. and It's cool how they sneak up on the guys in the jungle who they're taking out. And then they have a big firefight. And, you know, Jesse Ventura's got this big minigun, which they actually, um, in order to operate, they had to fish a cable... Like at the power cable, uh, they had to fish it up through his pants and hook it up to the uh, the minigun, and they just hide, hit it like the extension cord with leaves, just just to kind of like because the battery pack he wore like was completely useless. It was just there to make it look like he could have a portable minigun, and uh, so I just thought that was like a funny little thing for the movie. And they have this big firefight. They take out everybody. Arnold gets his one-liners in. He throws a knife at a guy and and pins him to this wooden post. And he says, stick around. And, you know, it's just like, is this a sequel to Commando here? Like, what am I watching? And then as it goes on, it just, they pick up this woman uh, prisoner on the way. And... They start, it starts, it changes and it slowly sort of changes into a horror movie where they're getting picked off one by one by this unseen force. And that, and that, that's one, that's one of the rules. Like I said, one of the qualities that it, so they don't show the predator very much at the beginning. There's some legends about it. They don't tell you too much. You don't really know a whole bunch about it. The monster in this has a simple motivation. It hunts 
it's there to hunt people. It's like um, hunts for sport. And, you know, it's come to earth to hunt people. They don't show that, like I said, they don't show it until, they don't show the predator until like, well into the second act. They're in a location where they're in the jungle, so it's not easy to get out of. They'd establish character traits early. Everybody has their own sort of trait. You, there's a relationship. These people care about each other, and as a result, you care about them. And then, of course, it just sort of devolves into... Not devolves, not the right word, but... Switches gears into a horror movie. Like I said, they get picked off one by one. They don't know... They can't see it. Its technology is advanced more than, the, more than their own, obviously. They just realize that the thing is hunting them. In fact, uh, the whole famous get to the chopper thing, like at the end... Uh, Arnold realizes that it only hunts, or maybe they figured it out a little bit, but they only it only it only it's hunting them for sport, and it will only attack people with weapons or people it perceives as a threat, which they uh, touch a little bit on in the second one, which is underrated in my opinion. A lot of people hate Predator too. I I kind of like it. It expands on the Predator mythos in reasonable ways. Doesn't go out of its way to tell you. Again, everything, it just, it's been coming to Earth a lot lot longer. Like, it didn't just start coming, it's been coming because at the end, Danny Glover gets a prize for killing the Predator. It's like a gun from 1776 or something like that. And it just gives you an indication they've been coming to Earth for a long, long time. And so, like, again, I thought it was kind of underrated, but it's... I. It, it ends up becoming just a one-on-one between Arnold and the Predator. And it shows little things like Arnold setting up homemade traps. Like spiked logs or logs that are set up tied to a tree where you can trigger by kicking out the support that's tied to. And bringing it down on to like rock traps to like, you know. So he's, he's improvising and he's making arrows out of the gunpowder because he has only got so many bullets. And uh, he realizes that the predator can't see him if he's covered in mud so he covers himself you know you you find out little things about the predator as you go along just and they don't break those rules it's just a nice tight thriller horror monster movie that uh, does tension really really well and it's i think probably arnold's I think it's his best movie, actually. Like, I know a lot of people blast me Terminator 2 was so great, but I think Predator is probably the apex of his career. In my opinion, anyway. Like I said, so much, so subjective. But you don't... The, the great thing, you don't know where Predator comes from. You don't know... You don't really know what's his motivation until partway through the film. You don't know a whole bunch about him. They just, you know, they're just in the situation to be hunted one. They're being hunted one at a time. Probably could have even done without the um, spaceship scene at the beginning that's dropping them off. Because the less you know, the better, right? Which kind of segues in the next thing, the movie that I'm going to talk about, which is The Thing. Because it has almost the same shot, the um, spaceship crash landing, although it didn't crash land in Predator, Predator, but it is a spaceship coming to Earth and it crashes on Earth. Unfortunately, the thing didn't do very well in theaters, but it uh, obtained kind of a cult following later on. And I literally just watched this before I put it in, or before I, sorry, before I started doing this podcast, I put the disc in, which is what I was trying to say, but so silly. Um, 
I watched this right before I started doing this podcast and such an excellent example of a monster movie. We think it's, the characters think it's been around for a couple hundred thousand years, but they don't know. Where does it come from? They don't know. What does it want? They don't know. They slowly piece together the fact that it replicates people uh, because you could think at the beginning that it only replicates maybe animals. You could maybe make that leap, but very quickly they establish that it can copy it just copies anything and so like its simple motivation is to to copy itself to propagate the species why where does it come like why why is this thing like that no idea none whatsoever and they're asking uh the characters asking mccready the main character played by kurt russell why does it do this thing? He's like, because it's different than us, because it comes from outer space. I don't know. But that's not the important thing. The important thing, what they're focused on is the characters trying to get out of this unstable situation. And the it, the best thing about this movie is that it's all about paranoia. Nobody can trust each other at all. There's only a few parts of the movie where you know who to trust. And people get killed because they don't, they, they aren't trusted even though they're actually human. And there's actually this one scene right at the beginning where the uh, the thing is a dog and it goes into the quarters of somebody and all you see is a silhouette. Like they don't, other movies wouldn't have been able to help themselves and they would have shown the person. But in this case, they just showed, showed the silhouette and I'm pretty sure that they just used an extra on the crew that was working behind the scenes so they wouldn't you wouldn't be able to tell which of the actors the silhouette belonged to so it wouldn't give it away which i thought was quite uh quite a smart t- thing to do and even at the end like even at the ending you still don't know like is child's a thing no idea maybe they'll freeze to death and somebody will come and the cycle would begin anew but one of the big time qualities that it emulates is they're in a remote location. So they're in the Antarctic. They're, they can't... At the beginning of the movie, they established that there was one other base where the thing came from. Uh, Norwe- Norwegian base. And that's kind of it. Like, they can't get a hold of anybody. Later on in the movie, their vehicles all get sabotaged. And, of course, like, the Antarctic, you, it's tough to, to even... Well, even now, to... F- figure out um what could be a more remote and and cut off location than the antarctic like um and they're all trying to survive they can't escape they can't contact anyone so that's one of the things you really feel like the environment is almost its own character in that movie and it's a nice little piece at the beginning when they're going when they went go to the norwegian base and they're trying to figure out what happened and it's they come across a whole bunch of dead bodies and a burnt body and this big chunk of ice that they think there might have been an animal in it. But they, like, where's the animal at? What happened here? And one of the things the film does really well is you kind of find out things when they, when the characters find them out. Like, they don't, nobody tells you what's happening. Nobody tells you who the thing is. Nobody tells you. There's no exposition dump. You're along for the same ride that they are. And you have no idea whether or not Childs is a thing at the end, like if somebody is the thing at the end and it's such a bleak ending. Like to me, 
the best case scenario, if you think about it, is that neither person at the end are the thing. Which means they both froze to death. <laughs> which is super, super bleak. But again, like I said, I just watched this and it's amazing as the first time I watched it. And I so, so highly recommend it. This thing is a masterclass in tension. Um, this is one of the examples, I think, where they actually show the monster quite early in the film. But for this, it kind of works because they have different iterations of the monster. The makeup, Most of the makeup effects, I think, hold up fairly well. Although there's a few of them where it's like, yeah, they're kind of dated. They don't show it too much because, again, they had a limited budget. And they very selectively lit it so as to not expose the makeup jobs of the monster. Which is, again, a smart decision. They establish character traits early uh, through character interactions between all the people. There's rules. Basically, the rule is the thing can imitate anybody. But there's rules like fire kills it. It reacts to fire. Um, it rips clothing when it when it takes over when it uh, takes over a human a host and uh, replicates them. Their clothing rips. It can mimic the person exactly it needs time like it needs a f several minutes to complete the transformation so it's vulnerable then like little things that give them a chance along the way but it establishes those rules and it just it doesn't deviate from them up next uh is tremors and like i said this is the example basically that i thought about when i went to make this podcast episode I saw this, I actually watched this last week, and the quote I always come back to is like, towards the end of the movie, it just kind of hit me, Stampede, which is brilliant, because it refers to a line at the beginning, and also it was, it's a solution to the problem at the end. Essentially, uh, there's this small town in, I want to say maybe Texas or Nevada or something like that. Although they say Bixby, so maybe that's... Oh, I don't know. I don't know my states very well, obviously. <laughs> I'm Canadian. I don't know. Anyway, one of those... It's sort of like a, you know, Western... It's very um, sandy and dusty and dirty. It's what you would picture like a town in the middle of nowhere in Texas or one of those southern states would be maybe New Mexico or Nevada or something. There's desert everywhere. And... It centers on Kevin Bacon and Fred Ward, their characters. They keep trying to leave and they keep having to come back. And they end up running into these monsters, like these subterranean creatures who can pull you under the ground and basically eat you. Nobody knows where they came from. Nobody knows why they're a thing. Like they're like they decided to come out now nobody knows why they nobody that you've never heard of them before nobody knows how old they are nobody knows why there are only f four of them at the beginning they think they're actually snakes but the snakes are the kind of their uh how they pull you underground is actually this really big monster um the monsters can move through loose soil but they can't move through solid rock uh, the monsters can sense you, but they don't have any eyes or ears. So they can sense vibrations, and that's how they hunt. They can learn. They establish that early. 
so they can learn and get smarter and they do as the movie uh goes on they don't show it too they don't show the monster too much although the effects are really good and they still hold up as far as i'm concerned um you establish character traits at the beginning you know who uh Kevin Bacon and Fred Ward's characters are, you know, the um, occupants of this tiny town in the middle of nowhere. It's called Perfection. You get a sense of what the what it's like to live there, what the people are like. You've got like the um, sort of, you got Reba McIntyre and the um, Michael Gross, that's his name from Family Ties. Uh, they're kind of the survivalists. They moved out to the middle of nowhere just in case World War Three happens and they got provisions and weapons and everything like that. And you got sort of the local store owner and you've got a couple local families and the two main character do, characters do odd jobs. They introduce a seismologist um, who's from a, a college somewhere in the state to, and she's doing these geographic uh, readings and she fills in some of the blanks and... Has a little bit of exposition, but just enough, like I said, to establish the rules. But not so much as she looks at the camera and tells you exactly, you know, what the monster is, where it comes from, what its motivation is, all that that kind of stuff. The monster is a simple motivation to eat. Humans are food. Uh, They tell why they... There's a couple points in the movie like... Why can't we just stay here and it won't come for us and there are a few character deaths throughout the sprinkled throughout the film and basically the kevin bacon's character gets out a map and he's like they hit this guy here they got this people here they got this guy here it's coming straight for us basically and the survivalist characters reba mcintyre and michael gross they're like there's only one way in and out of town. That's why we picked it here. Like surrounded by mountains, et cetera, et cetera. So there's only one road and the characters, the, uh, sorry, monster causes a, a rock slide that cuts the road off. So they can't easily get out of it. And every time they try and have a plan, the mon- the monster itself tries to come, uh, kind of learns about, um, it, it kind of learns and, and it f- keeps foiling them again and again, even though, so you get people getting picked off and you see these things are dangerous, even though they, they, and then there's four of them. So they kill them. They kill the monsters one at a time until they get to the last one. And then that's the big climax of the movie. So that, that covers the scenario where escape is not easy. And like I said, they established the rules really, really well in this movie they don't give you too much. It's a nice lean 90 minutes. They don't show it too much. You don't see the 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 monsters until the second act. And in fact, the, the, they don't even know what to call them. And it's like, oh, well, you got to give them a name. Let's call them, like eventually they, they say, let's call them Graboids. Because it grabs you and pulls you under. It's just a great little film. Came out in 1990. I believe that they made four more i want to say they made five of them and then a a short-lived television series i think all of them have michael gross in it i believe so but uh it's again this is another one i can't recommend enough because it's it's so fun and it's the one of the quintessential examples of a monster movie because it just does it all perfectly and you're never bored in this there's not a part it's not like where they're throwing everything on the wall at the wall all the time, but it's got a nice a nice pace where you can just kind of 
you and again same thing with with this is with the thing you're finding stuff out as they find it out and you're dealing with situations as they deal with it so you're like and it just it often seems like no one's safe and every time that they think they have a plan the graboids come along and throw um throw a kink into it so and they get smarter as the movie goes on and yeah it's just it's a nice little piece of filmmaking i really really enjoy it and the last one of course as as i stated uh, that i was going to talk about is quiet place it's been a couple of years since i've seen it but i think the same thing sort of applies except with this one as opposed to a uh, location or scenario where escape's not easy it's more of i believe these are alien invaders i want to say and most of humanity has been wiped out by them so it's one of those they're everywhere so it's not like you can get away from them so i guess it kind of has i mean escape's not really an option in any way they don't show the monster too much until maybe about the end of the movie they established the family or like one of the uh, one of the daughters uh is deaf the parents uh, are overprotective, but they're overprotective for a reason because of what's going on. But also, they lost a child earlier in the movie, which they hint at but don't go into until a little bit into the film, I think. It might be at the beginning, too. I don't know. I think they flash back to it, actually. Like I said, it's been a while since I've seen it. They establish the rules of the monsters. The monsters hunt by... They don't hunt by sight. They hunt by sound completely, but they're very sensitive and you can't make any noise, which is why they have little things like... Well, they uh, have this trail of sand wherever they go and they walk barefoot to uh, places that they've been or they don't have any machinery because they don't want to make any noise or how they have a room that's insulated where they can go into or, you know, things like that. Uh, they don't they don't break those rules, even though there's not a lot of characters that deaths, the monsters do seem like a real threat. So they st- like I said, they established the rules really well. And they don't tell us too much about the monster. You don't know where it came from. You don't really know how long it's been there. They only figure out really how to kill it towards the end of the film. Because the father, played by John Krasinski, is trying to figure out uh, how to actually fight back. And they don't figure it out till later. And yeah, so like they don't... like. I think it follows a lot of the common qualities as well. And like I said, it's very entertaining. I think it's a really well put together movie. Uh, it's directed as well by John Krasinski and has his wife, Emily Blunt, in it as well. And uh, they're all really good actors and I think they do a really good job. And they're making a sequel to it. I'm not sure how good that will be because sequels usually have, you know, the laws of the diminishing returns are a thing. And I will be doing future podcasts about uh, good sequels and one about bad ones so be on the lookout for that but uh, needless to say i i really hope that the second one is really good because i really enjoyed the first one so uh that's pretty much all i have to say i noticed here that i've been have been talking for over an hour <laughs> i was a little worried i wouldn't have uh, enough material to get into here but just kind of wrapping it up i really as i said at the beginning uh, the monster movie has been around for a long time and it's been around for a long time for a reason. It's a tried and true formula, uh, even though a lot of uh, newer movies have kind of done their own take on it. But uh, like I said, they share a lot of the common qualities, the good ones do anyway. And there's tons and tons and tons of examples and I expect there to be tons more. And 
I hope that I've given you kind of a place to start if you aren't really into monster movies that you can uh, go sort of into it and even uh, get into it a little bit. And even there's a couple of uh, more family-friendly ones if you want to get your uh, sort of kids into it. But um, there are just countless examples, and I think it's something that will continue uh, into the future for good reason because there are a lot of really good ones out there and ones that I will probably kick myself at <laughs> uh, when I'm thinking about this later about oh why didn't I include that one but anyway with all that said thanks for joining us this week please like comment subscribe if you're able rate the podcast wherever you listen or if there's something you really want to talk about email me at conferculture at gmail.com That's C-O-N-F-E-R-C-U-L-T-U-R-E at gmail.com. Until next time, I'm Chris Murphy, and this has been Confer Culture. Confer Culture.